welcome to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast with your hosts, Jeremy Thake and Paul Schaeflein. Each week, you'll catch us speaking to expert developers about new tech, lessons learned, and opinions in this space. Welcome back after the holidays, buddy. How you doing? Woo-hoo-hoo. 2021. More of the same, but we'll have a lot more fun in 2021. <laughs> Well, nowhere to go but up, as they say, right? So that's good. So how, how was your holidays? It was really, really good. I had two weeks off and I actually, usually I just like turn my computers off and just don't go in the office room in my house. But I actually disconnected the monitor and put it on my newly acquired Xbox Series X. So I couldn't even turn my computer on and do any work, which was perfect. Excellent. That's great. Yeah. Before we hit the record button, you mentioned things are ramping up again. So that's good to see the... Oh, it doesn't take long. Innovation's <laughs> still coming, right? Excellent. Yeah. I mean, we're already starting build planning and MVP summit planning's well underway. And so, you know, those engagements are, are good. Um, and like for my team, because I'm focused on helping partners succeed we seed a lot of the partner stories that happen at Build. And so, you know, we're just working out which ones are the ones we're going to talk about. And, you know, I help juggle prioritizing what breakouts are going to happen topic-wise with a bunch of other people in a V team. So that that's all exciting. And, I, you know, I, I still find it really kind of cool that we do those kind of things and I get to be involved. So there's a few people like, oh, I don't, you know, if you said I didn't have to, if I could step aside from an event, you know, they would do it, whereas I actually kind of really enjoy it because it kind of gets you at the forefront of all the tech and the shiny new stuff. Yes, and I'm looking forward to uh, to new stuff coming out. It seems that there was a lull, at least maybe it's just my attention span, but something <laughs> would be nice to, nice to see. Yeah, I think the combination of COVID and scaling and just removing people over to work on other priorities to keep things running is definitely impacted a little bit of our progress in some areas for sure. Although things are moving. So I was, as I was going through the links for the show today, there was a bunch that we had parked from last year. If you, for those, you know, listeners, uh, our last episode with Nick was actually recorded before our holiday breaks. So we're coming back and there was a bunch of links I was going to talk about, but then as I was going through, we were like, oh, there's some new stuff. Oh, here's some new stuff. So nice to see stuff ramping up. And and we'll start with uh, what I'm going to link to is the, annou- the announcement post, but the Microsoft Graph mailbag blog series is live. What in the world is the Microsoft Graph mailbag? (laughs) So Brian, before he joined the team, was still in a a premier field engineer role in the field. So not in our corporate HQ. That was really his kind of like, he proved that this was something he wanted to do at a more broader level and be more like focused on the graph. And he did a, a whole series that was extremely successful. And when he joined the team, I said to him, I was like, hey, look, do you want to do another series? And we can do it around what our team's learning. So as we work with partners and we see there's always common things we talk about with the, the partners building with the graph, what, what if we kind of blog those in some kind of like mailbag series? And so, you know, Seb's done one on, um, you know, using Graph Explorer like a professional. There's some other ones in there um, specifically around um, using MGT Get, which is a web component as part of the MGT thing, which really is a kind of a, a Swiss army knife of rendering graph information in a super easy way with this kind of web component. And so there's a bunch of those that we're doing. Um, and it's not just going to be from my team. There's a bunch of volunteers from external and different things. And what I've promised is that we'll get them on the show to talk about these things as episodes in the future as well. So you'll be hearing from the whole crew of Brian and Seb and Fabs in in, in future shows. So that I think it, it's a good way of kind of like patterns and practices done, you know, specifically with that lens of 
what our bigger ISVs are, are, are seeing as valuable in accelerating building stuff with the graph. So yeah, definitely go check those out. They're on the graph blog and there is a, what's the URL? aka.ms slash msgraphmailbag. There we there go. There we go. So excellent. Looking forward with to the, it. With the, the cheapest mailbag clipper I've ever <laughs> seen in history, <laughs> which, which I gave Brian grief about. I'm surprised Marketing even let that happen, but there we go. There you go. Excellent. Um, you know, so yeah. since you you mentioned MGT or the Graph Toolkit, uh, we also I also found a, a YouTube post that is Beth Pan, who works on the Toolkit, and she connected with Sam Bronner, who we had on the show as well, and they have a hour-long video on integrating Microsoft Graph and the Graph Toolkit and the Fluid Framework. So it certainly is a... Oh, cool. Yeah, nice. I, I didn't get through the whole thing because some of these technologies I've seen before, so obviously I didn't listen to the whole thing, but I saw that and I was glad to see that the the union of these technologies coming together, and I could certainly be helpful to folks, so certainly hop on that as well. Yeah, two really good devs as well. Well, um, Sam's, I mean, Sam's been on the show twice. He's, he's awesome. And Beth and I, you know, worked together on that, the build live coding session uh, last year. And um, it's great to have her in that team working on MGT as well. So moving on next is a, a post that kind of made me go, hmm, it is uh, <laughs> guides and tools to design your Microsoft Teams app effectively. And this is from the Microsoft 365 team on the blog post, but they have a, a Figma UI components, which means that, you know if you're if you're doing like mockups of your screens, you want it to look like Teams, you can use the Figma toolkit on that. But it also includes a Microsoft Teams UI library, which looks similar to the Fluent UI stuff that we've seen in the past. So uh, <laughs> I know you're not in the Microsoft Teams organization, but um, there's certainly some work going on in standardizing the UI. Uh, Folks who are following in this or building apps and teams, you might want to at least uh, pay attention to what's going on here. Yeah, and I laugh because I, I just came with a demo with a partner where the, the 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 level of polish to make it look like it was in Teams wasn't like kind of great. And you know, I've worked at ISVs where the, the designers aren't at, you know as strong as uh, we'd all like as PMs, and so. Toolkits like this really make it easier for a dev that isn't a UI person, probably like you, Paul, as well, yep. <laughs> as a back-end dev, that if you can make it look like it should just belong in Teams, the better. There is a lot of consolidation going on in terms of these UI frameworks. And I know like the Beth and Nicola and, um, and Elise uh, are working closely with all these teams to make sure that the story feels close in terms of where a UI framework meets something like the web components, which is more about binding to data and graph. Um, I'm not sure where they are in that journey yet, though, but there's a lot of discussion going on to kind of consolidate all this stuff. So it's good to see that finally out there. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, as, as we write code that can leverage SPFX, for example, to run in multiple yeah. hosts, we want to get a, a UI. So uh, I made a note yeah. to go we'll find someone who can help us give us an update on that, certainly in this upcoming um, Ignite version two conference coming up. Tech ahead. We'll try to chase that down. So if folks have any questions, <laughs> uh, feel free to shoot us them. We'll try to track some down. Funny about Tech Ed, Fabs posted a photo of his office after he'd like cleaned it up over the holiday period. And um, he had a TechEd 2012 notepad still that he was using. I'm like, how are you still using a eight-year-old notepad? And he's like, oh no, I've got a bunch of them. Like I'm like slowly burning through them. But it just makes me feel like how long TechEd <laughs> was ago that we kind of did one of those events. 
And then another bit of news was the community call we did with the graph. So we did one with Molly, who's in my team. Uh, she's awesome, uh, brings rainbows and unicorns to every meeting and smiles. She's uh, definitely awesome to work with. And she took on the Changelog V2 project, which has been something we've bounced around for a while. And in actual fact now, you'll notice there's been a change to the developer.microsoft.com site that when you're in the graph table of contents, the change log is now logged right next to the docs. The benefit of this change log, and we have talked about this show before, but is that now you can kind of say what changes have happened in beta only and were they additions and were they in the calendar API? And you can see essentially everything that's happened in a chronological order. Um, And the nice thing is, is that they have RSS feeds that then you can then go copy and put in your RSS reader or plug into Power Automate or, you know, whatever, if then else type device, if there are particular workloads you want to watch to see things coming out on beta or V1. So really, really pumped to see that finally see the light of day. Molly, thank you very much. <laughs> um, so real world experience here, right? So I'm, I'm working on our bot the next you know three to two or three weeks and it interacts with Teams and SharePoint. So I don't need to know what's changed in cloud communications. I need to know what's changed in Teams or SharePoint or taxonomy. So I'd love to be able to filter this down and take a look. So this is this is great stuff. So thanks guys. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of people under the covers. I'm kind of giving Molly all the credit here as the PM, but we we actually also generate this as part of the pipeline when we onboard the APIs, whereas the previous process was like marked down, content edited, put into a PR, reviewed and loop the loop on that for a little while. Um, so it's really great to have this where nothing gets missed. Like if it's onboarded, it's going to be in this list, which is great. So yeah, the maturity has been awesome on that. So so this week on the show, um, I, I was lurking on the Twitters and found Martin Hatch posted about the Azure AD Entitlement API. And Martin and I had met years ago back when we used to travel and do conferences. And so um, that sounded interesting to me. So I snagged him and we talked about this. And Martin did a great job of introducing me to this Azure AD Entitlement in general, we didn't really go do deep on the on the API, so we'll try to find someone at Microsoft who can give us more technical details. But it's great if you're dealing with guest users in SharePoint or guest users in your directory, this is something worth investigating. So thanks to Martin for hopping on. It was uh, great to catch up and was great information that I had never heard before. So looking forward to kicking the tires. Yeah, and a fellow Brit. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. <laughs> All right, buddy. Well, that's it this week. Uh, have a good week, and we'll chat next time. Cheers, Paul. See you, mate. This week on the podcast, I'm delighted to welcome Martin Hatch. Welcome, Martin. Hi. How you doing? I'm doing great. And uh, in typical uh, COVID-style fashion, I saw a tweet that I- intrigued me, so I hounded you until you said yes. So thank you so much for agreeing to come on and, <laughs> and talk to us this week. It is an absolute pleasure. So uh, let's start with who are you and what do you do? So my name's Martin Hatch. I have been working around the SharePoint enterprise space for, cool, coming up towards probably 12, 14 years, something like that. Um, started off with Portal Server 2003 and kind of went from there. And uh, yeah, the last five or six years, I've been working with the organization now known as Content and Cloud as one of the developer architects around the Microsoft 365 and SharePoint space. Excellent. And uh, as people can tell by your accent, you're not from America. So uh, No, no, I'm... Um, <laughs> I'm one of those lonely Brits, I'm afraid, from over the pond. 
um, regardless. So again, thanks for doing it. And so the the tweet that I referenced was something along the lines of we should check out Azure AD Entitlement API. And of course, API perked my things, and Azure AD really perked up my antenna. So what in the world is Azure Entitlement API? So this is a feature's actually been around a while when I actually looked this up because it's relatively new to me. And part of the reason I've got involved is because uh, Content and Cloud are doing some enhancements to their tenant in particular using the Azure AD entitlement management features. So I started looking at this a bit more closely. Uh, the API is a bit more new. Um, it's still in beta through the Graph API. Uh, but in essence, entitlement management allows you to uh, massively improve the way that you share content, whether that's internally or with external resources. Think of it as the external management B2B solution that you've always wanted SharePoint to have. And as we know, there's all sorts of problems with the legacy, if you would, the legacy approach of simply going share and have external sharing from a SharePoint site or something like that, where you type in an email address and it sends an email. And if they click the link and they're signed in with the wrong tenant, it creates a guest account with the wrong binding and they can't work out why they can't log in. And then the administrators get upset because they've got rogue guest accounts floating around an AD. And three years down the line, your Azure AD looks completely messed with guest accounts you can't trace or, or get rid of and you don't know who's can access to what. So it's an end-to-end -end feature set that takes care of that whole process. And who doesn't want that? So let's kind of <laughs> pull that strand apart a little bit. So I've made notes because I knew you were going to ask. <laughs> oh, I appreciate that. And so you said it's Azure AD entitlement and you mentioned B2B. And so is this something they built on top of the Azure B2B service that we've seen? Yeah, so it, it kind of leverages the B2B. So um, under the hood, it's still effectively doing the same thing. You end up with a guest account, effectively a guest security principle in your Azure AD tenant, which references uh, the tenant or the domain name of the external organization. So it's Azure AD to Azure AD. Um, so you have the old hash EXT and then the name of their domain. But effectively, it, it generates the same guest principles in your tenant that you would normally do through the guest process. But the bonus is it manages the whole thing for you. And the, the main benefit of it is it allows you to manage the relationship of specific named tenants having specific access to resources, whether that's a site, a team, or a group, or an app even. Say you use Salesforce, you've got Salesforce app in your tenant. You can say, right, we want to share this with a specific group of users, whether it's partners or contractors or suppliers or whoever. So it allows you to manage all of that relationship with uh, approval for internal incoming guest users. There's lifecycle management. Um, you can request to collect information about those users as they come in. So you can ask them questions or justify why they need access. And it wraps it up with a nice, neat interface for the external users coming in as well. So it kind of wraps the whole thing in a bow. It's very slick and it's very neat. It's still a little bit rough around the edge it doesn't do everything, but it is a hundred times better than the older or legacy external sharing stories that you get in SharePoint or M365. All right. So I can imagine you've probably done this as well over the years. Someone wants to have a partner access their SharePointy stuff and we end up writing a list with a workflow or a custom app or to collect, you know, who's going to do it and set up approvals and, and do all that kind of work. So it's nice to see there's some there's some more sensible solutions. But a couple of things that you mentioned I want to dive into. The first one, you said life cycle around it. So what, is, what does life cycle mean in this context? In this context, um, effectively, the external guest, uh, you can create uh, a life cycle around how long this particular thing. It's probably worth stepping up a level. 
in entitlement management, everything resolves around something called an access package. So you create an access package. This is done through the Azure portal traditionally. So you go to Azure Active Directory and there's an entry called Identity Governance, which you need uh, to have either Azure AD Premium or one of the security packs as licensing. So it doesn't come as standard. It is one of the premium options. You create an access package and that binds together a resource or a number of resources. So it could be, let's say, Typical example, you're running a project, you've got a SharePoint team site that you're managing the project from, and you want the client to have access to that project site. So you create an access package specifically, and the resource would be the SharePoint site that you want to share. Um, and it will ask you even what role. The interface is very nice that when you're adding, say, a SharePoint site, it lists the, team, uh, the SharePoint groups in that site directly within the Azure portal. So you, you've got a browse and search interface to search for the sites, and then you literally say, right, these are the groups that we've identified in that site. When people are given external access, what group do you want us to put them in? So if you've already set up specific groups for external users, it's really nice. You just say, right, they go in the external users group. Thanks very much. But hold on, I'm going to interrupt you right there because that's that's really slick. That, that's great. That, yeah. that. That's awesome. And you can bundle these together. So you might say, you know what, we're going to do a big framework piece. You know, it's, it's a large piece of work for a client and they're going to need access to three team sites and half a dozen other smaller sites for this. You can bundle that all together as one access package. Okay, so yeah, so access package has resources. So sorry, interrupt you there. <laughs> yep, yep. An access package is uh, is specifically the collection of resources and lifecycle and what's known as a policy, but we'll get to all of those in turn. The resource and the role is what are you sharing? So this is a SharePoint site, in which case it says, again, what group do you want to put them in? It's um, a team or a group. So if you want to share a Microsoft team or you've got a Microsoft 365 group and you want to externally share that, you can do that through this interface as well. And the final one is application. Um, so that could be anything living effectively in your Azure tenant that's registered as an app that you want to share. So does that, maybe you'll get to this, but if, I, if I'm if i sharing a team and, you know, it's team one, two, three, does that mean these external users get added to the team? Yes. Yes. That's yeah. the slightly dangerous side of this. So you'd need to be aware that it basically makes them team members. So anything in the team and same with the groups. So if you add them to a group, well, hey, they've now got access to the libraries, the mailbox, the calendar, and, and everything that goes with it. So you need to be wary of things like that. Now, the life cycle you asked about earlier, um, this can be run in, in multiple flavors. You can say never expire. So we give them external access. They come in and they're there forever. Um, and they go away if you ask nicely kind of thing. Uh, but the two probably the most people are going to go for is number of days or date. Now, number of days is your typical enterprise access for external users where it says, we're going to grant you access, but it'll expire after 90 days. And then you've got to go through the process again to verify, right, you've got to resubmit. You've got to go back for approval. You've got to get a sponsor to say, yeah, you're allowed in. So there's a mechanism of that. It's all fully configurable. So the default, if you say number of days, is a year. But you can literally say, right, you've only got access. Every user that comes into this environment, they've got access for a week or a month or six months or whatever you choose. The other one is you can say date-driven. So the first one is per user. So each user that comes in, I've got access to this site for 90 days. So I can use it and then I'm kicked out again. The other one is actually based on the entire package. So you can say this entire access package will expire on this date. So it's useful if you're running a project 
to say, we know this project is going to finish on, I don't know, 1st of October. So we'll create an access package that gives external guests access until, I don't know, into November, because you know the project's overrun. There's a bit of cleanup and tying up afterwards. And then that's it. When that date swings around, all the external guest accounts get kicked off and you don't have to worry about it. The bonus of that is you can then bake in what's known as access reviews. So even if you say, you know what, we're going to give people access forever, you can set up access reviews that say, right, the the person who's responsible for this package, they're going to be prompted every six months to go through and say whether or not people should still have access to this resource or not. And the interface is really nice in that it gives you a list of all the guest users that have been granted access in that time. And it'll say, right, these five at the top here, they log in every day and they're auto-approved for the next round of access. They clearly use this a lot. Unless you say no, they're just going to keep going. There's no reason why you should want to kick them off. There's a bunch of people in the middle. They log in every now and again. You need to make your decision about this. And there's a bunch of people in the bottom have logged in once or never, and they're automatically flagged for remove access. And this this is fully automated. The emails get scheduled and sent out to the approvers to log in, and there's an interface for this. This all runs through the um, myaccess.microsoft.com interface. This is a kind of a portal interface for both the people who manage the access packages as well as the guest users as well. So it's really, really slick, a really, really good full-end lifecycle around the whole shebang. And the best side of this is when the guest accounts get cleaned up, um, it will automatically remove all the users from groups. It automatically cleans them up from SharePoint, from Teams, from groups. And if you go through and actually say, you know what, this entire organization and all their guest users are going, it even goes through, I believe, clears up your Active Directory tenant as well, which is amazing. (laughs) That's awesome. That that is terrific. Now, the couple other things... So I had this access package, and and you were what when you were talking about how on a certain date everyone who you, has logged in gets cleaned up. But now, does that when I create the package, do I need to specify users then, or is it really kind of user agnostic until I send them a link or something? Yes. Yeah, so at this point, it's user agnostic. So um, the one thing we haven't talked about is the requests. What's what's referred to as requests in the in the interface, but really it's. Who are we talking about? So we've got the what, we've got the when. So we're sharing SharePoint sites and teams, and we're sharing it until a specified date or forever or whatever. So this is when we get to the who. Now, the request side of things is you can do this not only for external users, you can use the same mechanism for internal users within your org. So you think the really high-end, high-scale enterprise organizations of the scale of organizations like Microsoft that might want to say, well, we don't want to have to micromanage users in this way, even internal users, we want to have lifecycle controls and access reviews to certain pieces of content uh, that maybe you don't have AD security groups to cover that particular envelope. Uh, But in this scenario, I've been looking at mostly for external access. So you can say, right, for users not in my directory, you can specify what's known as connected organizations, which is really a fancy term for someone else's tenant. So you can create a connected org Um, which is uh, you just give it a name and a description, and then you can attach to that multiple Active Directory tenants within Azure, within the Azure cloud. So uh, again, if you've got a large enterprise org that maybe says, well, we've actually got five tenants, you can add all five of those Azure AD tenants to that one organization, and then you associate that organization with the access package. So this is where the access package really does govern the whole of this is what we're sharing, and this is specifically who you are allowed to share it with. So it solves the problem 
of being able to lock down and say, well, this site collection could be shared with that company, but not this other company. We want to share that site collection with this client and that partner, but they shouldn't be able to be shared with that site collection. And it, it wraps the whole thing together. So do I need to know then in advance what that Active Directory tenant might be, so I can I can see a case where yeah if I if I'm if I'm an IT in the IT department and who knows what my end users are doing or some salesman says oh we're gonna you know add you to our extranet or something so is there still kind of a, a scramble to make it find what that tenant is for folks? There's a couple of things. So the interface is very nice. So when you add a directory, there's literally a search box and you type in the domain name and it will do a search and it'll return all the tenants it finds that matches that domain and you just pick the right one and off you go. From an API perspective, you've got a bit more of a problem because that is an internal, I've, I've had a look through the Azure portal and it seems to be an internal Azure API, which is fined by domain name that I couldn't find anywhere else. But the the graph endpoint for creating a connected organization actually doesn't need it. So all you specify is when you create a connected org, this is all under the beta path under identity governance. You literally provide a display name and a domain name, and that's it. And if if that validates and says, yep, this is definitely an Azure AD tenant with that domain, uh, it creates it, it's done, one hit. If it's not, you get a 404, which is quite nice. It just says, yeah, we couldn't find this organization, try again. So as long as as long as long your users, um, if you're building an application to manage this using Graph API, as long as you know the domain name that they're using and the, the display, the kind of the name of the org they want to provide, you could quite easily give them the capability to create their own connected orgs. Okay, so now I have a package that allows users from zero, one or many <laughs> domains. That, that means any user in those domains can then be bound into this package? Yeah, so the package itself, when you define the package, is more just about the organization. And the other thing it's worth mentioning with the org is you can specify sponsors. Oh, nice. So every connected organization you spec up, you have, and this is the best bit, you can define both internal sponsors and external sponsors. So internal sponsors are people within your domain, your tenant. So you might say, right, we're running a project. We want the client to come in. So the client is a connected organization, and we're going to make the project manager the internal sponsor for that client. And when you specify in the access package under the requests, you can choose whether or not to enforce approval for new incoming users. So theoretically, anyone in that connected org can request access, but as soon as you enable approval, you get to the, the approver gets to choose whether or not they're granted or not. And the approver is automatically used for any of the life cycle as well. So if the life cycle says, hey, they, they requested access because it expired, that goes back to the approver to say, hey, they've asked for it to be extended by two weeks. Is that okay? Excellent. Excellent. And again, that's a lot of work that developers have been involved with in the past is setting up this find them and approve them type of thing. We've talked a lot about a package. I guess maybe we should go back. Is this something that I install or do I pass this out to my folks or is it really just kind of a construct inside AD that manages it? Or what does that package look like from an end user perspective, so to speak? Yeah, for, for most of this is just a construct within Azure AD. So the, the concept of an access package doesn't really correlate to end users. They're, they don't really need to know that this thing exists. Once you've set up your package, and again, I mean, the other features we could go on and on, um, you can force the person requesting access to give you justification for why they need access. There's even a whole section where you can request information to say, if you want access to this, we're going to ask you five questions. Um, which I'm sure you know internal teams can have a lot of fun with as to what questions you need to pass in order to be granted access to their knowledge base. <laughs> um, yeah, and you can have multi-stage approval and the whole lot. But effectively, what 
what comes out of the end of this when you create the access package is something called um, an access uh, URL. Ah, there we go. Yeah. yeah. So this is a unique URL that basically deep links specifically to the resources associated with this access package. Now, you've really got two options from here. You either go to uh, myaccess.microsoft.com slash um, and then the domain, the name of the tenant. So let's say, for example, your Azure portal is contoso.com. Uh, you go to buyaccess.microsoft.com slash contoso.com slash. And that'd be kind of the, the base interface for the My Access portal. And you could log in if you have, if you're a user from one of the connected orgs and you think you should be requesting access, you go there and it'll give you a list of all of the packages that have been set up that you are allowed to request access for. Um, but each of these does have a unique URL. So in the case of whether it's a service desk doing this or whether you're doing it through an API, through an app or a managed process, the thing that drops out the end is a unique URL that you would pass to whomever it is that invites external users in and they just click that. It goes straight to the interface saying, this is the package for these sites and these teams. These are the questions you need to ask. Do you want to request access or not? And off it goes. And then you're off and running. And that then becomes kind of your home for managing that process of, has it been approved? Has it been rejected? Does one want to extend it? When does it expire? Um, and it automatically sends you notification emails as well to say, your access is due to expire in one week or or all that kind of stuff. It's it's really very, very neat. And in your, in your project manager scenario, then I would create this package, get a URL, give that, pack, that URL to the project manager and say, if you want someone to come in, they have to click on this link and that and then I'm done, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And again, depending on how you decided to set the package up, the approvers, uh, there's there's baked in options for, do you want the approval to be by the internal sponsor or the external sponsor, which is users in their tenant? So you might say, you know what? We, we don't know who in your organization should have access to this project. So we're going to make the client project manager they're going to be the, the approver for access requests and they decide who comes in and who doesn't. So you don't need to worry about it. It's kind of one step beyond, not only do you not have to worry about usernames and passwords and password resets, you don't even need to worry about whether they're supposed to be on the project or not. You can say, right, we trust this individual, that person in that client or that connected org, they can decide who comes in and who doesn't. That is terrific. Okay. Now, the next thing you mentioned was policies. Yeah. So what you effectively have, once you create your access package, you can then associate multiple policies with it. So the, the base package, when you bind all this together, you effectively end up with a package and a default policy. Now, once you've created uh, one policy, you can go back and add more and more policies. So for example, you create an access package for a uh, project site and the, access, the, the default policy, the way you set up the first time around is the connected org is the client. And you set up the approvers and the life cycle and everything else. And then a couple of months later, you turn around and go, ah, we, we've got a, a partner organization that's also working on this project. We need to get them in here as well. So rather than go through the whole process all over again, you just go back to the original access package you set up and you create a second policy for that partner. And they can have different approvers. They can have different life cycle, but it's still giving you access to the same resources and the same access package that binds it all together. Um, and equally, if you then remove the access package, all of the policies and all the guest users associated get automatically cleaned up. Nice, automatically processed by Azure for you. Okay. So when I hear policies, I think a lot like conditional access and multi-factor and all that. So does that I know Azure AD supports that you know, fundamentally. So is this something in addition or is that, are they all related or is it really just building on top of it? 
yeah, it's it's just building on top of it. So it's uh, yeah, it's it's just the uh, the the terminology they've decided to come up with in terms of policies in that sense. But it, it really just means uh, who has access to this package. Um, and again, it's worth bearing in mind you don't have to lock this down to connected orgs. There are other options that say any guest users can request this. So um, if you want to have I don't know, let's say you use this to provide contractor or external partner organizations access to your tenant. And you might say, hey, you know what? We've got an app that we use to manage expenses or invoices or timesheets or something. Say, well, actually, yeah, we want all of our guest users to have access to that. So we're not going to sit there and every time a new one pops up, have to go through and create a new policy. You just create one catch-all policy that includes all of them. Oh, yeah. So that's the, okay, the wild, wild west, kind of like what people are used to, or anyone with a link can log in. So we can still do that with this, but I, and I still get the lifecycle, right? So even though it may be any, every external user, I can still apply the, the lifecycle and the approval steps. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. And, and again, the approvers can be anyone. So if you're going ad hoc, you might say anyone can come in, but it has to be approved and um, we're going to name someone this time. <laughs> so it's going to be John. John from accounts. He's got to approve everyone that comes through. Yeah. Right. I, I, it's certainly not a stretch to say maybe I have a SharePoint site that has our, our corporate calendar, days that were closed or something like holidays. And I want anyone who's working to be able to see that because for whatever reason. So, yeah, it totally makes sense on that. And then um, now we talked a lot about what it is, and you've referenced the the graph API bits as well. So I, I, we don't have to dive in deep in them, but I'm guessing every everything I need to tweak or update, I can do using graph, right? That the- yep. So the, the bit that you're specifically looking for is around, um, it's all referenced in Microsoft Docs um, under the graph API. Uh, it's under identity and access, governance, entitlement management. Uh, and from there, there's graph endpoints where you can retrieve all the connected organizations. You can create new ones. You can delete them. You can modify them. You can add and remove and list all the internal external sponsors. You can set up all your access packages and your assignments. You can manage life cycles, the whole Everything pretty much you can do from the interface you can do through the Graph API, uh, which is great. Yeah, I assume that this is, if I don't have an Azure subscription, I can do the ad.portal.azure.com and get to it. But that might be a really busy user interface. So it seems like we have all the tools that we may need to to get, put a front end on this for project managers or help desk or something. Yes. Yeah, so I mean, we're actually going through that process at the moment in Continent Cloud, and there's there's a few reasons why you would want to do this, and there are obvious reasons why you wouldn't necessarily want to do this. The main, the main one for us is that there are an awful lot of options. I mean, first off, if you want to set up and manage access packages, you need to be in the Azure portal. You need to have fairly high privileges to the Azure Active Directory in the first place. Uh, you're going through the Azure portal. You're going through a lot of effectively admin-heavy screens. So these are designed for your Azure AD engineers or administrators to go through and manage stuff. You don't really want all of your power users traipsing through the Azure portal. A, you don't want to have to train all of them, and B, you don't really want to give all of them access either. And the words that we use in the identity space may not make sense to, to regular regular folks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But the main, the main one for me is that you probably, as an organization that wants to implement entitlement management, they're probably going to want to focus this down. It's a very broad church. And you probably want to say, you know what, we're going to use this for a specific purpose. And as a result, we want to mandate certain options. So you might say, well, we don't want anyone creating an access package that doesn't include approval. 
and we don't want anyone other than internal sponsors to approve users. And we don't want anyone to ever create an access package that doesn't expire. They should always have a date. Um, we're not interested in using days. All of these different rules that businesses will come up with around the process of, in an ideal world, how would you like to manage external user access? Uh, do you want to have access reviews turned on? If so, how frequently should they occur? Um, the kind of stuff that with content you'd be using, you know, kind of sensitivity uh, sensitivity labels, or you'd be using information management policies, that that kind of stuff to to make sure that everything is done consistently and everything is done neatly and cleanly. And for me, there's there's a couple of very clear scenarios where you'd want to kind of wrap this up through the APIs into some kind of app. I mean, in our case, we're building a power app to do it, but it could be it could be anything really. The first off is where you say, you know what, we trust power users. It's maybe a smaller organization or one where you've got a very small focused subset of users. Uh, you've got kind of people like project managers or maybe uh, business stakeholders or account managers. And you say, right, they have the power to add new organizations and specify who they are and who does and doesn't approve who comes in from those guest orgs. Uh, project managers would be an obvious choice to say, yeah, they can choose which of those organizations are allowed access to their project sites. So, you know, providing that layer of, um, of obfuscation, you can, you can hand that capability out to them without worrying them about, right, well, how are we going to get them into the portal and train them all these hundreds of functions? But even, even if you think about backends, uh, the backend teams support service desks, service engineers. Yeah, I mean, as you know, some of the larger companies, big, big teams for very large organizations. You think this is a new feature we're rolling out. It's going to cost quite a lot of time and money to train them on all the different features. We've got to write all the policies and what you are and are not allowed to do. So even providing an app for the for the service desk staff to say, right, someone's asked for external sharing to set up. Don't go to the portal because it'll ask you 501 questions you won't understand. Use this app, which will force you to select the things that we as an organization have decided you should do. And for me, that's one of the best reasons for these kinds of API automations. Yes, absolutely. And in fact, you know, lighten the load on these on these poor service desk folks, right? So have a project manager fill out a form that covers most of the scenarios and then off we go. So yeah, awesome, awesome. So, so is there anything left in here? Well, you said there's hundreds of, <laughs> of, of questions <laughs> to be answered, but any other big ticket items that you want to share with our audience? No, I think that's probably it. I mean, the best thing I can advise is go and have a play. Um, you can subscribe to a free 90-day trial within Azure AD to add in all the premium features to use in title and management and have a kick around. Um, all of the API requests you want to use, you can play with for Graph Explorer. Yeah, crack it open in Power Apps and have a play in there. It's very clearly documented, I'd say, from Microsoft Docs with all the example request headers and bodies and permissions that you're going to need. So, yeah, the best I can say is go and have a poke, do it in a test tenant so you're not going to break anything, and have some fun. <laughs> Excellent. Well, this was great. I'm so glad I saw that tweet. This, I, I, this is this is fantastic stuff, and I really appreciate you hopping on there. And so um, if folks have questions, uh, I, I saw you on Twitter. So what, what is your Twitter presence to other social media that folks might be able to reach out? Twitter presence is at Martin Hatch um, on Twitter, which is probably the, the easiest way of getting hold of me. Absolutely. Excellent. So thanks for Laffer for doing this and uh, look forward to me seeing again in person someday if you come up soon. Yeah. 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 Pandemic permitting. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Face to face lookups has been a long time coming. <laughs> All right. Thanks. You're welcome. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast. 
please follow us on Twitter at M365DevPodcast and check out our show notes at www.m365devpodcast.com. To help us spread the word, we'd really appreciate it if you could retweet our episode tweets and give us a review on iTunes. That's all, folks. Thank you.